Hello, and welcome to another interview episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. I have Rob Drummond on the line, and we're going to talk about story selling. We'll do the full bio in a minute, but Rob, can we talk about monsters? Love to. <laughs> awesome. Well, in your book, you talk about the power of a monster in storytelling. And of course, this works for fiction and like literal monster characters, right? But it also works for story selling. So in that context, what do you mean by monsters and what role do they play in, in selling stories? Well, in my book, I talk about overcoming the monster as being one of the plot archetypes. And this obviously exists in literature. So we have um, various types. You know, if you think of Lord of the Rings, you've got Sauron as, as the monster. Um, I think in day-to-day... Yes, we have monsters that we interact with, but I think often the monsters are the, potentially even the demons in your head. And you writing a story about you overcoming the monsters in your past, in your head, that are holding you back, that could also be a good application of the monster that is maybe more applicable, actually, to daily life. Yeah, so much, especially especially um, if your business, if your story selling has anything to do with I, I want to say personal development, but not just like that that narrow, narrow space of personal development, but anything about um, growing careers, growing, just overcoming any kind of challenges, mm-hmm. relationships that can that can matter. Um, there's monsters in trying to figure out. It could be it could be situation. a person. It could be an old business partner who tried to hold you back or tried to steal half the business or all the business or whatever it was. Like sometimes there are there are actual monsters that you could potentially write about, but for me, a lot of my monsters are in my head and I can get the best, <laughs> the highest engagement by writing about those demons. Yeah. Welcome to the club. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, somewhere in this interview, I'm going to have Rob share the number one thing that you need to do to make your story selling more interesting, but not yet. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Rob Drummond is a multi-channel copywriter and marketing automation consultant. He's based in Sheffield, England. He runs Story Copywriters, where he helps coaches and consultants attract a steady stream of ideal clients by telling their story. Among other client successes, he worked directly with Perry Marshall as a copywriter at his Paradigm Shift workshop. And I met Rob through Perry's group. Um, and by the way, also Rob just interviewed me for his podcast. So we'll make sure to share that as well. Rob, let's dive in. In your book, Simple Story Selling, you describe storytelling as a business growth lever. Can you explain that? Yes. So in your business, there are various levers. So I have to credit Chris L. Davis for this concept. And he describes there being various uh, levers in your business that when pulled can catapult you from one level to the next. So another example would be once you've gotten off the ground, you know, creating a degree of systemization and processes and documenting what you do so that you can replicate and, and delegate some of the lower value tasks. That is a lever that can take you from one level to the next. Yes. I believe if you run a certain type of business, if you run a personality driven business, if you, if you as the founder are front and center in the business, then your story and your ability to tell your story, because your story is going to be tied to your purpose and people have to buy into your purpose before they'll buy into you. So your ability to, to tell your story in a, in a relatable way, in a believable way, in a way that fosters empathy is a leader that can take you from one level to the next. And you know, when done correctly, I think it's almost like a night and day situation. It's like, you know, the, the night version is where you're struggling to generate leads. You're not really getting traction. And then suddenly you put, 
you you know it, it's almost counterintuitive we're kind of taught to kind of always be you know talking about benefits and features and so on and all of a sudden you're talking about yourself but then people actually do relate to it and it almost like attracts the right person to you for sure like and and i want to say this is one of those things where there's there's that there's that question of like does this apply to my business right and I always want to turn that around and say, how does this apply to my business? Because you can look at, at like uh, you can you can look at at brands that had nothing to do with the personal story, right? But then as soon as uh, oftentimes it's a leader within the company or a founder or whatever comes forward and suddenly tells their personal story, there's this transformation that happens in the brand and, and growth is, is easy. Like even, even get to, uh, like investing, investing is something where most people don't think, okay, um, uh, uh, a, a personality or stories drive, uh, the success of an investment brand. Right. But then you look at Warren Buffett mm -hmm. and people invest in Berkshire Hathaway like, yes, it's great investment. He's a great investor, but his annual letters are read by the entire investment world. They're full of stories and wisdom that's conveyed through stories. And like you take things that feel like they're completely not related to story and it, it can be transformational. That's cool. Um, yes. Just as you were talking, I was thinking of, of Infusionsoft. Uh, yeah. which is now called Keep. Uh, it's the yes. CRM marketing automation system. I was involved in Infusionsoft as a certified partner for a number of years. And the reason that we all stuck around was because of Clayton Mask and his, his, his voice being front and center and him being very authentic and very vulnerable in his story of how they founded Infusionsoft. And I think we kind of stuck with it for quite a long time um, because of that. Yeah, for sure. So you take something like software, CRM software. Yeah, mm. boom. Um, excellent. Well, one of the things in in another, you know, I'm kind of bouncing around in your book a little bit here, but um, one of the insights that really jumped out at me was you talked about stories making great content for sales follow-up communications. So email and beyond, right? Um, talk to me about like why story fills such a powerful role there and, and a little bit about that. I think it, so for me, I spend a lot of time helping people tell their personal story. And I think okay. often this, this goes well in follow-up conversations because you've already got their attention somehow. So this isn't normally the first thing that people see when they very first come across you. You normally have to, to capture their attention by, by, describing a problem, agitating it, you know, following a lot of this systems that you talk about in your work. Yeah. But then beyond that, it's like, it's like, if someone, it's like someone walking past your picture in an art gallery and they, and the picture stops, stops them from walking by, they admire the picture, but then they look at the bio underneath, they then read the bio and that's because then, then they want to know, well, who wrote it? And that's, that's where the, it's the bio that then informs them about you and that's that's kind of the same role that the personal story plays because they're not just wanting to know yes can you solve that problem but also can they can they trust you do they do have you walked the path that they are trying to follow um are you a credible 
are you credible, basically? And, and that could be your personal story. It could also be stories from your customers. So there's various sources that you can pull these stories from. But but yeah, it's it's that kind of staying in touch. You know, obviously, some people are going to buy quite quickly. But I think for most businesses, especially most businesses that I work with, they often have what I would call a, a waiting market where you've got people who have opted in at some point, they've raised their hand, but they're not ready to buy yet, but they might be one day if you can stay in touch with them. So that's where yeah. you need to be. I mean, I mean, you, you can't just send them information. It's, yeah. you know, it's like, if, you, if you're just sending them information, it's like asking them to eat dry bread over and over. And eventually, you know, some people will eat a bit of dry bread, but, you know, we need filling. And the story is the filling that keeps people coming back for more. Yeah, so there's the there's the consideration period, the purchase cycle that and and they may already it, it it's like it's like a, a very quick purchase happens because somebody comes and they say, Oh, you have a solution to my problem. And I and it's like a bleeding neck thing. Like I'm 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 ready to solve this problem. I'm ready to invest in a solution. Yeah. And you've given me just enough trust that like that I'm gonna get this solution that I'll invest. But then there's a whole bunch of other people who say who it's not quite a bleeding neck yet, or it's, you know, it's a, it's a small cut. It's not like, <laughs> um, and so, so the, uh, what, what makes it, um, well, the time just isn't quite right. And you can't yeah, make yeah. people buy, people will buy when they're ready. And yeah. And oftentimes it is that accumulation of trust like yes. that, that it, that's that's the point I was I guess trying to get to and and how does that accumulation of trust come it's 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 from getting to know you better it's from connecting with you more and so much of that like going back and you make a similar point in your book like we've been talking we we communicate meaning through stories going back to prehistory right like pre like even history has story as a root. <laughs> I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. And I think this is this is very interesting. I mean, I write in the book about the Peck Mill caves in France, where there's pre um there is artwork, there's cave, um, there's artwork on the walls um dating to about 20,000 BC, so kind of pre-ice age. And it depicts animals, it depicts animals in the surroundings. But you know, these people were we're documenting this and presumably telling stories about it. It hints at it hints at storytelling. So storytelling is one of the things that is, as far as we know, humans have always been telling it. Yeah. And that means that you know it's like if something goes back 30,000 years, it's likely to also go forwards 30,000 years. It's not going to disappear tomorrow. So it's a foundational principle. You know, chat GPT has been around for what a few months. I think it yes. will be around for quite a long time, but often these things are really, if, if something's only been around for a few months, it might only be around a few months ahead. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe TikTok is the better example. Yeah. yeah there. Perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. Um, so uh, I like in your book that you say selling stories should entertain first and educate second. Tell me why, but make it entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, ultimately, we're not just telling stories to entertain people. We're telling stories to close sales. Yeah. However, you can only, I guess, what ultimately what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to enlighten someone or upgrade their level of thinking about your topic. And that's the, that's the end point of where we're trying to get to. Because if we can enlighten them, shine the light of insight on something that they've missed so that they go, 
oh, Rory doesn't know what he's talking about. He is a credible uh, solution to what I'm looking for. Then that's that's where the trust is going to come from. But we can only do that once we've educated them. And we can only educate them if we've got their attention and we have to entertain them first. And that's where the story comes in. Yeah. So often, you know, this 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 operates on multiple levels throughout the month. It's one of those fractal, uh, fractal, fractal things. Yes. <laughs> where, where, you know, throughout, throughout, if you're structuring an email sequence, then you, then you have the drama up front where you open with a bang. You know, you don't take people's attention for granted. You, you get into the meat of the story. You, you, you open a hook, you leave them on a cliffhanger, and you, you know, you close that in the next email. But you can also do it in an email yourself. So, in in a single email, where you'll you'll open with the story. You won't open. I think a mistake is often, especially in the early part of a sequence when people have first opted in. I think it's a mistake to go straight into the content and have this big section of content and then try to sort of segue into the story. It's like yeah, you went you you entertain first. You open straight into straight into the story and then you transition into the message yeah um so so really like it's about there there's there's a reference that i i make to making the attention sale as like the the first the first sale that we have to make as marketers copywriters salespeople, whatever and if you don't justify like i i have somebody pitching me through linkedin right now and i can tell it's just like a kind of an automated sequence or whatever um and he pitched and he's he's like you know how'd you get into this business for me it was kind of a happy accident and it's just like you know it's 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 uh generic right and i know from his linkedin profile this guy's like a business coach right and then he's trying to get me to book a call and all of this but he hasn't like I haven't responded to him, but he hasn't justified why I should pay attention to him. Right. There's so much of this on LinkedIn. Like I've, yeah, I, I have yeah. a real love hate relationship with LinkedIn. For sure. For sure. So like the, that whole, like you have to make the attention sale. You have to give someone a reason to pay attention. And, and you can't and take inter- it for granted. Like we take it for granted that people are just going to pay attention and, and you can't do that. Yeah. And I think people actually pay less attention than, than, than we think, um, which is why you probably need to be sending more emails than you're currently sending. <laughs> and I think well, your emails are great, by the way. It's, not- it's noticeable that um, you send an email pretty much every day. And yeah. Very consistent. I think it's great. Yeah. 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 Um, and I I would, well, and, and one of the great things about, um, of course, I could I could probably do more storytelling. Um, one of the great things about storytelling is it makes it much easier to send emails about the same content every day. Like um, I once heard Dan Kennedy say that he basically has, you know, he he has a grab bag of like twenty tricks, right? Uh, Gary Halbert had his twenty clicks that John Carlton wrote about after he passed away. And somehow they're able to sustain an audience through years and decades because so many times they're they're telling new stories about the same core content over and over. Yeah, I agree. I, I pretty much only have about seven things to say to people. It's like, yes, you have the waiting market. Yes, you need to build trust. You probably already have enough leads. You need to nurture those leads. 
you know, there's, there's not a whole lot. <laughs> there's not a whole lot. Yeah. It's, it's illustrating that with examples and, and, and messaging and telling stories around that. And obviously going into the, me- I mean, you can go, you can always go deep in, into the mechanics, I guess. But For sure. For sure. So you talk about educating second. And one of the things you were talking about is you want to shift their perspective. Um, that made me think of the Eugene Schwartz. Well, how people are talking about Eugene Schwartz now, specifically uh, Stefan Georgi. Um, talks about the mechanism of the problem, the mechanism of the solution. Um, and I would imagine like if you if you start to come up with a list of stories that that you could kind of have core stories that you're using for oh, helping people under give them a new understanding of the problem, right? From your perspective, shift yeah. their perspective to match yours, giving them the new understanding of the solution there. Um, that's not really a question, but I'll shut up and let you respond if that makes you I think, think, of I, think I think you said this in your book as well, where you only actually have a handful of core stories. And I think it's very important to identify those those core stories. And often they're not necessarily the ones that you think they are at the moment, which is why I think sometimes it's helpful to speak to someone else about it, because it's 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 a story that it's a story that shines the light of insight on something that your customer has probably missed and it shines a light on insight on something that once they see it they'll go ah that's that's what that's what i'm missing that's the insight this that's the insight that i need and and it's that it's shining that light of it it's shining that light of insight that allows that effectively upgrades their level of of understanding about what you do and it means that they're more they're more educated by it which means that when you when you speak to them, it's a different conversation, because you know. I think what we're trying to do in doing this is not quite eliminate the need for sales because we always have to you know get on sales calls. But it's when you get on a sales call, it's not like you're really selling yourself because you've the the storytelling and the emails have already sold you in inverted commas. All you're then trying to do is work out you know is there is there a project to be done or is there is it a good fit. Um, yeah. It's not. Yeah. So like um, this, this a few times throughout this uh, conversation already, I've thought of religion and specifically like when you think about religion, religions are a collection of stories. Right. Uh, but there's also this term that we use in marketing a lot that comes from religion and that's conversion. Right. Mm. Um, and in religion, so many people, when they're born again, right? Um, if if born again into a certain faith or whatever, um, it's it's often thought of as this conversion experience, like this this moment of conversion, and that's that's also what we're kind of able to achieve with the story selling. That the conversion happens in that moment where they realize, okay. Rob understands my story better or my my problem better than I did. And because he understands the problem, he also understands the solution. And it's all like it's it's an epiphany that I have when I'm reading your story, as opposed to you trying to like force down my throat. Mm. Um I like that. I love that. And yeah. I never thought about conversion as being also in the religious sense, but that's that's really good. And I yeah, think it, actually, it ties to the rebirth story quite well as well as being one of the one of the kind of plot archetypes that you could use in terms of identifying a time in your life where 
I mean, the rebirth story is is kind of similar to the tragedy in that the protagonist gets stuck in a dark pattern or in a dark place, and you end up having a period in your life where you get in a rut and you can't get out. And I work with a lot of clients that, that this kind of resonates with on quite a deep level. They got in in some respects into a dark place, whether that's in, in a form of business or whether that was in for personal reasons. And then there's some catalyst events. Normally there's a helper character and that facilitates some kind of, um, and it is, it is a conversion. It's a conversion into a, into an upgraded um, version of themselves. Yeah. Well, arguably like my origin story as a copywriter is very much that um, is, is a version of that. So the way that I tell it is, um, before I discovered copywriting, I had just gotten a, a undergraduate degree in psychology, bachelor of arts in psychology. And I got the best job that you can get with an undergraduate degree in psychology, which was working customer service at the local natural gas company, um, answering the phone. And the people who I was speaking to, it was you when you hadn't paid your gas bill all winter. And we came out on the first warm day of spring to shut off service and you didn't have heat. I was the guy that you called to yell at. Uh, because somehow it was my fault that you didn't pay your bill and now your gas service was off. So during that time, I was lucky enough to have the noon to 9 p.m. shift and most people don't want to talk to the gas company after dinner. And so I had a lot of time between calls. And during that time, I found this book called The Well-Fed Writer. Now, I I considered myself a writer before this, but I didn't know anything about copywriting. Well, this book talked about how there were these writers who actually used their writing skill to uh, write for businesses and they got paid well, they were well fed, they got paid well for it, right? And so from that point, like he actually disparaged the direct response people, the, the sales letter copywriters, but there was something about that particular skill that to me was really interesting that you could get paid for generating results in marketing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and from that point forward, like I just fell down the rabbit hole and the rest is history. So that's, that's, the rebirth from uh, you know, a, a, a really like directionless psychology grad, right? Working in a call center, getting yelled at for 40 hours a week to copywriter, like in charge of my own destiny. Mm. And I love, that, I love that you said that you've always been a writer as well, because I definitely feel like that. Like I used to, I tried to write, I tried to write a book when I was about eight and um, everyone it, it, it involved a desert island and monsters and everyone that read it said it was really great, but I didn't really know where I was going with the story. It didn't really, it didn't, I, I hadn't planned it out. I, I didn't understand planning at that point. And then throughout school, I, I, I always wrote creative essays. I always got good marks for, for creative essays. So I've, I've always been a writer. It was, it's always something that I was going to do. And I'm, I'm kind of terrified and haunted by the question of, well, what would you do if you weren't doing what you do, what you do today? Cause it's like, I don't know. I've I've only ever worked in marketing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm completely unqualified to, to do anything else, but I'm pretty sure I would do something to do with writing. Yeah, for sure. Like I have I have side projects going right now that are like very writing related, but have nothing to do with marketing. Hmm. Um, you know, for for me, it's it's very much the the same thing. And even as I elevate myself and I'm doing not really taking on client copywriting work and doing more of marketing CMO, it's still like getting involved and, um, and, and having the right messaging and identifying the company stories and all of that is such a 
key part of marketing leadership. Um, it's that, the interesting part as well, and it's 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 the it's the identifying the right ideas and conveying those ideas in the right in the right words that I think is interesting. There's there's a sure. kind of problem solving aspect to it, I think. So so with regards to that, that actually sets up my next question. Um, you know, you you work with clients to help them find their stories. You teach other copywriters how to find stories. So uh, the big question, like whether I'm writing for myself uh, or if I'm working with a client, what recommendations do you have regarding getting those stories out, finding the compelling, the interesting stories and getting them out um, and coming up with those stories? Yeah. I think the first thing is to you almost have to sell yourself on the idea that your story matters and it is worth doing. It is work that is worth doing. And you can do it by yourself if you want to. You can block off half a day or a day, take yourself to a coffee shop, mark your, put your out of office on. I think people don't prioritize it because essentially when you do that kind of work, it's very foundational, it's very deep, but it feels like we're not working. It feels like we're not being productive. So the the inner demons kind of want you to go and check your email or want you to go and do something productive that is more di directly related to you to you being paid. And I think that's that's often why it doesn't happen is because it doesn't get prioritized. And then even when we do get into it, if we're doing it by ourselves, you have to give yourself permission to do it. And I do think it's helpful to do it to do it with someone else. And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, someone someone like me or you. It doesn't have to be a storytelling professional. It could just be someone, someone that you speak to who is a good listener and can ask questions and talk to you. I think it's easier to do in dialogue. Obviously, you For don't sure. have to you don't have to have to record that dialogue. So obviously what I do is I record that dialogue. I get the transcripts and actually a lot of the automated transcripts have become quite good, which is greatly facilitated, facilitated the process. A lot of my work is, is in delving around in those transcripts, which is yeah. feels I've spent all of yesterday doing that for a client and it feels a bit like working on the railroad sometimes. But um, that's, that's where the, you know, once, once you pull the gold out of that, um, I think clients tend to think it's about the output and about you writing the words. I don't think it is. I think it's a case of pulling pulling the raw material together and organizing it and getting that into a work into a workable format. Writing the words themselves, you know, I could I could outsource that. I could plug it into Chat GPT if I've got a, a reasonably typed up transcripts. There's there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in terms of getting the output um, prepared. Yeah, for sure. Um no, you you if if you are if you're um, adventurous, you could even possibly pop open chat GPT and, and just start to have a conversation. I want you to be someone who is incredibly curious, um, about how I got into business, what the, what my core motivating, um, experiences were, and just kind of go into a, an in-depth prompt about the conversation that you want to have with the goal of uh, finding compelling stories and just start to have a conversation with ChatGPT. The other thing is, I don't know how much you dictate on your phone, but I would probably have that conversation with ChatGPT dictating on my phone. Um, yeah. I've not got done that rabbit hole yet. I think that is an option that I think is going to become viable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I don't think it's there at the moment, but I think it's very interesting. And 
I don't know. It would be, it could be a fun experiment if you're choosing to go it on your own, but at the same time, like this is, this is the sales detective work using John Carlton's language that good mm-hmm. copywriters um, earn their keep from. And a good copywriter is not necessarily making all their money when they are writing the words on the page. A good copywriter is making all their money when they're asking all of these questions in the in the phone call that lasts for two, three, four hours sometimes to find yes. all the, the most compelling, interesting stories. My super, my superpower, the, the highest value that I can provide is when, so, so let's say you're the client and you're telling me your story and you're rattling through it and you're too close to it. Your story is like, it's it's too close to your face. It's like, it's yeah. so close to your face that you can't, it's blurry because you, you lack all perspective on it. So it requires someone else to be able to, so it's like if I'm listening to someone's story and they often the often the the key core selling stories are the ones that they kind of throw out almost as little anecdotes. They don't think it matters. And this little bell rings in my head and I, I have to sort of stop them and get them to slow down, elaborate, drill down on that, which I think is the value of doing it with someone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm reminded of a and maybe we talked about this on your podcast too. I'm reminded uh, in particular of a, a conversation was I was having with this guy and, you know, 90 minutes into the 60 minute conversation, um, we got into like how he got started as a stock analyst and, and he was actually a business journalist. And then his dad passed away and his, his um, dad had saved a lot of money for retirement, but his dad passed away young. And suddenly his mom was sitting on all this money and she had no clue how to invest it, manage it, et cetera. And so he said, if I become an investment journalist, I could interview the world's best investors and figure out how they pick stocks. And I could use that for my mom's, um, to, to manage my mom's money. And that was like his, like, uh, as you're hearing yeah. that, you're like, that's story gold, right? Yeah, this, this, the, the bell's going off again. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, and now for something completely different. Let's talk about sandwiches. Okay. <laughs> um, so in your book, I, I really appreciated this, this, uh, metaphor, um, or I don't know, visual, whatever, um, in your book, you talked about closed and open sandwich formats for storytelling. And I think you kind of teased at this a little bit earlier, but can you tell us what closed and open sandwich formats are for story selling and how, um, yeah, just, just, uh, why they're relevant, when to use them, et cetera. So if you think about a sandwich, at least in the UK, a sandwich would be slice of bread, filling, slice of bread. So the story is the filling in the middle. And you know, you've got various types of filling. You can have different, you can have you can have a lot of filling, you can have a thin layer of filling, you know. So the the content, the information that you're trying to get across to people is the bread. And if you're if you're only including information in your communications, then you know you're just handing someone dry bread. So, so, so you have to have so you have to have the filling in it. But it's the question of where do you put the filling? So, in my book, I talk about two options for this. I talk about the closed sandwich, which is um, what we would think of as, as a normal sandwich with slice of bread on top. But if if you go and buy order a sandwich in Amsterdam, they will have an open sandwich. So it's just a slice of bread and filling on top. Which to me makes no sense because you try and eat it and all the filling falls on the floor and it's it's you know silly but um but yeah that that's that's the open sandwich 
And in that format, you go straight into the story. And this holds this holds a lot of. So when I'm teaching people to tell their stories, I try to get I try to get them to follow the open sandwich format because I think generally it's more engaging because you go straight into the story. I try to get people to go straight into the drama. So if you're structuring the story, you know, if, if you're just telling a story, often you tell it chronologically. So you'll start off at the context of the story, where you were, who you're with. I'm like, no, no, no. If we want really want to grab someone's attention, let's start off with the drama. Like what a great movie would do. You know, if, if you think about Batman or something, they they open you in the opening, in the opening beats and the opening scenes. They 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 the the Joker's doing something terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it it goes straight into it, and you can do the same. You can do the same in your emails. The question of that I talk about in the book is: Should you use the closed sandwich format or the open sandwich format in a business communication? Often you want to. It kind of depends how well someone knows you. I think if someone's been on your email list for a while, if you're sending your regular daily email or whatever it is that you're sending out, I think I think you should lean on the open sandwich format more. You know, you know, don't don't it comes back to not taking their attention for granted because you can't take their attention for granted. So, you know, go straight into the story. Um, however, I think, you know, for brand new contacts who've only just stopped into your world, sometimes you have to give them a little bit of a clue as to where you're going with it. And yes. you know if they're if they're in problem solving mode and yet that they're, they're trying to solve an immediate problem, sometimes you have to tell them that you know you are going to help them solve that problem in this email, and then you go into the, then you go into the story. That reminds me of uh, John Benson in his three X VSL formula. I picked this up there. I'm, I know that it was derivative of somebody else, um, but he would he would have this statement right before he went to his backstory. And it was it was a variation on this, like, um, like if if I'm if I'm saying it, I wasn't always a an A-list copywriter and um and and world-renowned marketing consultant, mm. right? I wasn't always this. And then boom, you hit the backstory, right? Yeah. Um and and it plants this um. It, it gives you a it, clue, doesn't it? All all yeah. you're doing is giving them a, is is giving them a clue, and once yeah, you get so into the story, you're fine. Then then you're away. But so it's you know ideally it's not thick slices of bread with a little bit of meat in the middle. It's it's like a very thin slice of bread on top, just to just to make sure the sandwich uh, has something to grab onto. Yeah, on both it's sides. it's not three paragraphs of bread. It's the yeah, thinnest yeah, slice. Yeah. It's it's more like a wrap. Yeah. Um. So why should you always write stories? as fast as possible talk about that um in terms of the writing process i I think for me the risk is that you're not going to actually send it (laughs) or or that you're going to second guess is is this story worth telling i have clients who obviously on the obviously i train people how to tell their stories and the biggest demons are in their heads in terms of they get stuck on it they second guess is it worth sending? And often the stories that you almost didn't send are the ones that you're going to get the best response from, because that's just that's just the way it works. So I think speed is really important, and you should be able to come into work in the morning, you know, make yourself a coffee, block off, say, forty five minutes, write a story. Perhaps you then give it to someone else in your team to queue up in your in your email marketing system, but. But it it should be doable in sort of 40, 45 minutes. I think if it's taking longer than that, it's going to eat 
too much into your time, especially if you're the, if you're the business owner. There's too many of other demands on your time. But I think this is a, I think this is a high value thing. I think, I think people are trying to outsource the copywriting and the storytelling, but then they're still washing the dishes or taking out the trash. It's mm -hmm. like, well, no, I think you need to prioritize this block and, and work on your speed, and you know, block off 40 minutes in the morning because you sending out that story every day, it's going to build your brand. It's going to build trust with your, with your waiting market. It's going to prop up the business, you know, for years ahead. It's going to encourage, you know, speaking engagements and, and so forth. For sure. Um, the other, the other thing that jumps out at me uh, regarding speed is, is there is a velocity um, that is, an undercurrent of good storytelling. So you, you see some like art house story film and oftentimes there's, you know, like a two minute just drawn out scene where nothing is happening. And it's, yeah. there's, there's no speed to that story at all. But when you look at blockbuster bestsellers, and let's say that if you're doing marketing and sales, your goal is blockbuster bestsellers, not necessarily, um, you know, art house drawn out, right? <laughs> Um, yeah. Blockbuster bestsellers, that that scene at the beginning of, of Batman, like something happens, something happens, something happens, something happens. The story has pace, yeah. The pacing matters. Yeah. And actually the pacing goes fast and slow. And it gives the it isn't just fast, 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 otherwise it ends up being this kind of joyride. But often you're best starting off fast and then and yeah. then slowing down. Um, and I think I think a lot of that happens like it is hard to go in and edit the speed. Yes, you can clean things up. You can make it tighter. You can make make it more concise. It's hard to edit speed into something that's edit velocity into something that's written slowly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think this factor of speed comes down to the structural stuff about writing in short sentences, uh, short simple sentences, and yeah. having white space, having white space in the email. So, you, so you your paragraphs of varied lengths, for instance, you. You don't have huge paragraphs. That that kind of helps as well. Um, in fact, that actually slows. That's a way to slow to slow to read it down is to have white space. You kind of speed it up by having short, punchy sentences. So you can always vary the speed that way as well. And that that yeah. also keeps people engaged. It keeps people reading. Cool. Well, and actually, let me let's fulfill that promise from the intro. Um, the number one thing you need to do to make your story selling more interesting. Um, so, so in your book, you talked about increasing suspense and intrigue. So can you speak to that and give ideas on how to pull it off in, especially in the context of story selling? Well, I think to do that, let me just tell you a story. So towards the end of my time at university, so I, I live in Sheffield. I, I was a student here. I'm not from Sheffield, but I was a student here. And one night when I was a student, I was walking home. I'd been to visit a friend and I walked home down a dark road. That was, was there's there was a university building under renovation, and I walked down this road. I only went this way to save about thirty seconds, and I got halfway down the road, and two lads appeared behind me at the top of the road, and they both had hoods hoods on hoods up, and one of them was smoking, another one was whistling, and they walked down the road after me. So I carried, thought oh, shit, uh, and I carried on walking, and then one of them said, "Oh, lad." Oi, wait. And then so I stopped. And they and they said, Do you know where Broom Hill is? So Broom Hill is a suburb of Sheffield, not far from where we were. And I said, Yeah, it's back up that way, left and left and right. And they didn't reply. They carried on walking towards me. 
were, mate. Back up that way, left and right. By this point, they're with me. They stop. One this side, one the other side. Hoods up. Just hand your phone over, pal. And I stood there and I waited. And in a split second, I ran. I ran ran back up the road. You can hear the footsteps, thud, 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 thud. I got to the end of the road. I got to a T-junction. I ran out into the road, straight in front of the car, so that the guy pursuing me couldn't get to me, and I ran off up the road, and I got away. That's the closest I've ever come to being mugged, and it's the story that I tell to try and illustrate suspense. And when I tell it in my email sequences, I actually cut it off at the point where I run in front of the car. So I, I kind of messed up the telling of it in, in, in hindsight because I should have stopped. I should have stopped to the point where I ran in front of the car and then left you to wonder what happened. But yeah, there's various things, there's various things about that story, though, that there's this intrigue and suspense laced all the way through it with the appearance, the appearance of the hoods, the threats, the threat going through. Because you know that nothing good's going to come from it. It's just a case of what and when. Yeah. And, and even if, even if your eventual experience and conclusion was, oh, um, I was overreacting. And then there's, there's something about overreacting yeah. to perceived threats. Yeah. Like there's still, there's still that inherent sense of anticipation that comes from the way that the story is told because you're conveying that, that potential for conflict, you're conveying the potential threat. Hmm. Um, and it, it always comes down to the threat of conflict, even if that threat doesn't happen, because often our brains are anticipating that anyway, because that's, I think that's just the way we're wired. For that's, sure. That's, that's the lizard brain coming in of, you know, you see every situation you see is, is it a threat? Am I safe? That's what your, that's what your lizard brain's asking. Yeah. Um, do I need to fight? Do I need to flee? Do I need to freeze? Um, you know, yeah. it's, it, it is those. What can those... I make with it? That's the other one. <laughs> <laughs> There's a different F word for that, but we will, yeah. uh, we'll hold off on that. Um, yeah. So. <sighs> but yeah, I mean, suspense and injury can, obviously that, obviously that story that I've just told has inherently has a lot of suspense and intrigue. So it's, yeah. it's very easy. It's very, it's, 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 it's one that I use as sort of the example to illustrate it. But actually, you can factor in intrigue and suspense. And I, to me, suspense and intrigue are kind of the same thing. And intrigue is a question in the reader's mind. Suspense has more kind of threats of danger, threats of conflict, but it's kind of the same thing. It's more with suspense, you're holding the reader's hand and you're running towards what looks like a cliff. Well, yeah, it's it's about any any sense of anticipation that you can get and 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 obviously threat and conflict have have uh, an especially visceral um power to to elicit anticipation um you know this this you can't look away the rubbernecking um but even so you know i it was a little on the nose but i made sure to include the number one thing you need to do to make your story selling more interesting in the yes. in the intro to this because we're we're teasing we're we're uh, projecting into the future of something Coming. And our brain's always future pacing. We're always trying to figure out what's coming next. And you've opened that and you've st- you've started off the train of thought that's going to lead pe- people to try and decide what that is. Yeah. Well, I had a couple more questions that that um, leapt out as I was reviewing your book and prep for this interview. 
I liked your distinction between current and core stories. And I think that it's a useful thing to think about uh, in terms of like as you're collecting stories to tell. Um, so, so let's talk about current and core stories. What's the difference? What's the definition of each and when is each relevant? A current story is a story that is something that you've been up to today or something that your kids did this morning, or, you know, I, I tell stories sometimes. So I go running, I'm, I'm a barefoot runner. Um, I, only on grass, it has to be said, but, um, I run barefoot in parks and fields in the temperate months. So I, I write stories about that. Um, it's the stories about the things that I've been up to and people people relate to those stories because it's the things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis. But often, so often I think you need to be capturing those stories and sometimes a current story, when you, all of the stories that you have, you can reflect back on them in the future and they either gain significance or they lose significance. And sometimes you come across a story and it's never obvious at the time which of your stories I think are going to become core stories. So the core story is something that illustrates the real you. It illustrates a, a kind of change in direction in your personal trajectory. And the thing is, is, is that these, these core stories are never obvious at the time. They just manifest as current stories. It's just something that it's usually just something that you did today. Yeah. So in my in my email sequence where I tell what what to my best understanding are my core stories. I introduce it with an example of a current story where I'm looking after my son, Hugo. It was, so it was when my, my son, Hugo was about six months old and it was the first time I'd ever had him by myself for the afternoon. And my wife went off to have her haircut. So I was with Hugo in the center of Sheffield. And then suddenly you've got this baby and a pram and I was not the provider of milk. And you're trying <laughs> to work out, is the pram going to fit in the shop? Is he going to have a meltdown? Has he done a poo? Should we, where, where can we go to have a wee? Because you can't just nip in somewhere to have a wee. You have to go to a bar. You have to go to the bar. You have to ask for the disabled toilet key. You have to, you have to take him to the toilet. And then eventually I met it with, with um, my wife about four hours later and related all that had happened. And she was like, yeah, that's, that sounds like my life. 24 <laughs> hours a day. So I told it at the time as, as a kind of current story, but I've since reflected actually that it is, I think it is actually a core story. It's a, it's a story about me growing up as a dad, yeah. developing developing as a dad. So, But it's only that period of a couple of years since where I've gone, actually, there was there was, there was some kind of more foundational change happening there. And it's... There was, it, yeah, there's like an essential internal transformation in the in the external events. At the time, and, I just thought I just thought it was a pain. I just thought it was a pain. I mean, it was a funny story. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, I think I think I think in hindsight, it's it's transitioned to a story that I do tell to illustrate taking responsibility and um, being a dad and being present, being present for my kids and organizing my business so that I can do things like that. You know, it's a story that I tell to illustrate that rather than just telling people that's how I organize my work. That's excellent. And I like the transition here between current and core stories. So um, things that that our current events can, um, I guess, I guess outside of our uh, perceptions or expectation evolve into. Um, 
something that matters a lot more down the road. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. And I, I think the use case is that, you know, if you're just nurturing your list and you want to be leaning on current stories a lot more, telling people about the things that you've been up to, because people want to know that. But when people first kind of opt in, when people first buy your product and you're you're kind of letting them know the real you, I think you want to lean more on your core cool stories and let them see the stories that have led you to where you are today. For sure. Excellent. Um, you have a section called constraints or liberating. What do you mean by that? Very hard to write with the unlimited space of the blank page in front of you. It's actually a lot easier for me to tell you to write a story about, to tell a story that follows the rebirth structure and, and say, you know, write me a story about a time when you got into a really dark place in your life. It could be a personal situation. You got stuck there for a long time. And then somebody helped you and showed you some kind of insight that unlocked the key to allow you to move forwards. That's that's a constraint. It's a framework to kind of work within. And it's it's actually easier to think of a story that if I just say, tell me a story, it's like it's like someone asking you to crack a joke. It's like you, you just you just can't. It's 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 too it's too vague. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um I so, still so remember we, 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 we we think we want to be liberated from all of these constraints, but actually we need the, we need the constraints and we create the constraints, I think. Yeah. I, I still remember I was taking a poetry class in college and I didn't say this about being a writer, but uh, my first, one of my, one of my first um, major things that I did as a writer was I self-published a book of poetry in college. And um, I, I don't necessarily encourage people to go out and, and find it, um, but, but uh, the, the teacher had this like crazy constraint format that we were supposed to do for this. And actually the teacher misexplained it and apologized later for misexplaining it. But we were supposed to come up with six words. And I actually ended up just grabbing a dictionary and randomly flipping to pages and finding words that I liked on those pages. Um, and, and so it was like, it was supposed to be 10 syllables ending in the word for each of the six lines. And then there was a rotation structure. So you had six verses. And then there was a last verse that it was like the words had to hit on syllables five and 10. The ends of the words had to hit. And with all those constraints, I wrote what is probably the best piece of poetry that I've ever written first. And then I wrote an entire book that wasn't as good as that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I yeah. think it just engages your problem-solving brain because it presents the brain with a problem that is structured to solve. For and that's sure. And that's all it is. Um, yeah, I so think, there's I an... I think poetry is a great example. There's all sorts of like poetic structures that people follow that, that sounds like it's doing mental jujitsu to kind of write something with that, but it's actually, it's actually easier because it gives you a framework to build on. Yeah, it... it... Um, it, it's almost like it, it distracts your conscious brain. So your subconscious or unconscious can do that, like really, that. really yeah. good work. Um, okay. So uh, I want, I want to pivot here and tell people where they want to, where, where they can get more from you. And, uh, like the best first place is your book, advanced story selling. Now I want to tease a little bit because there were some really cool things in there beyond what we've talked about. I really liked your why, how, what circles. Um, I thought that that was a, a interesting concept. You have the expert victim flaw 
uh, which was a good les- uh, lesson. That's completely stolen from Perry Marshall, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, many of our best ideas are stolen mm. and adapted and told with our own insights and perspectives. I actually actually borrowed that from Joshua Russell, who was interviewed by Perry Marshall. And Joshua Russell is a film director, um, and he was describing it as a as a character. He was describing you know, what constitutes great characters. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm not trying to give away too much here. Mm. So expert victim flaw is part of what constitutes great characters. And one of the ways that I teach storytelling or one part of my teaching of storytelling is that um, how your stories convey your character is an essential component of storytelling. And so that's worth checking out. The power of a despicable villain, the archetypal plot, stealing Hollywood storytelling secrets and making them work in marketing. And your book is full of a bunch of proven story formulas and specifically how to use them. Um, So I'd strongly encourage people to check that out. Um, The link will be in the description. Is there anything else that you um, want to tell people as far as what they'll get in the book? or related to the book? Um, I think I think you've summed it up really well. So the, the question behind the book was, can we leverage the lessons of great literature in practice to write effective business stories and to write stories that tell, that, to write stories that stand the test of time? That was, that was the question I was trying to answer in writing the book. Excellent. So how to write marketing and selling stories that stand the test of time and like inherently that also gives you storytelling and story selling skills that stand the test of time. So I love it. All right. So check the link in the description for simple story selling from Rob Drummond. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for being on here on Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. It's been great, Roy. Thank you very much. Excellent. And I'll make sure to also share your episode uh, along with this that where you interviewed me about story selling. So we flipped the the tables on each other. Um, excellent. Well, thank you. And to everyone who has watched or listened to this episode, I hope you've gotten a ton of value out of it. I want you to leave a, leave a comment with this episode, if you're able to where you're listening or watching and let me know just like what's one big takeaway action item you got from it, one insight that you got from it. Um, and with that, thank you. And I will see you again in the next episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. See you soon. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.